0: Hello, everybody. I am the author of the podcast, Actually Making America Great. And I just wanted to say a few words to explain my thought process going into writing the scripts for each of the episodes, and also how I chose the various issues that I claim would actually make America great. And so I just wanted to say I wrote it in every single episode that I'm not a Democrat, I'm not a Republican, I'm not a libertarian, I'm not a socialist, I don't approach politics from any particular ideology, and I wanted to explain what that really means so that you have a little bit of a better understanding about why I chose these issues, and why they really are something that should matter to you. And so, really, I've spent years and years just watching the news, and every once in a while, the same issue will pop up. You'll see 44,000 Americans uh die every year because they don't have access to basic health care, okay? And you kind of forget about that. You don't really realize that there's a bigger problem and that there's a bunch of similar stories about the same thing over and over again. The same issues always show up. We're always talking about Obamacare. Was that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? We're always talking about, oh, the cop shot another uh, unarmed African-American man. And uh then a few days later, you hear, oh, well, this guy was a druggie, so... Uh, ostensibly, you just shouldn't care as much. Um, and, and so, why do we do that? Why does that always keep coming back? That sounds like it's a problem that we should do something about. And you'll hear politicians debating about how we got to put more money to our military. We got to um, make sure we protect our troops. We got to uh, make sure that we fund our military so that we stay strong. And, uh, well, we spend more than the next 11 countries combined on our military so what do we have to still do with our military what is our military doing with all that money uh and then you might see a story that says oh well we're fighting a war in syria oh we're fighting a war in somalia we're fighting a war in yemen but you don't realize that we're actually in seven different countries bombing 90 percent civilians um and, and that that's really where your money's going it's not going towards the troops it's not going towards the vets and so you just don't really realize that that's a problem so it kind of takes uh a podcast like ours to really put everything together. So you start to see that there, there are these problems. So that's what I did. I just wrote up this giant list of issues um, and started to ask myself, okay, well, fine, we have all these issues, right? We have this issue where um, we lock up 1.3 million Americans for uh, nonviolent drug offenses. That's a lot of money that our taxpayer dollars are being spent on for something that doesn't really seem to be benefiting us. It just creates kind of these racial problems because the drug war from its history was made purposefully to target African-American communities. It keeps these communities down. It keeps them in poverty. That seems like it's a problem. And uh, it it seems that if 50% of our discretionary funding is going towards the military, we should be benefiting out of it. Instead of creating more terrorists over 20 years in a failed war on terrorism, why is it that Boko Haram didn't exist in 2001, but now it does? ISIS didn't exist in 2001, but now it does. Why are we creating more terrorists? I thought we were supposed to be good at this. I thought our military was the best in the world. Why are we killing 90% civilians? Is that really what I want my taxpayer dollars to be going towards? Uh, so that sounds like it's a problem. And uh, 44,000 Americans uh, die every year because they don't have access to basic health care. We spend four times as much as... The average person in another country pays for the same drugs. And like, these are life-saving drugs. Why are we paying so much money? Some people just can't afford them. One in eight Americans, uh, who need these life-saving medications ration out their medications because they can't buy the refill. And, uh, of people who have health insurance, they're 50% of them are underinsured. That means that if something really major happened to them and, you know, they got into an accident, they got really sick. Well, uh, sorry, you're, you're out of luck. Sorry that you got sick. Yeah, but, you're gonna go bankrupt and you're gonna be homeless, can't do anything for you. That's that's kind of a problem. Um, I mean, just talking about COVID-19, I'm sure everybody's bored of it, but we have a 20% real unemployment rate and 33% of the country has not been able to afford their rent since April. Um, even before Corona, 50% of the country was in poverty based off of metrics from, from decades ago. If you just adjust them to what they would be today, 50% of the country would be poor by the standards of say, 1960s. So that seems like it's a problem. We should be doing something about these things. And so I come up with this list, but obviously there's a bunch of issues that I don't consider. You know, uh, some lefties are going to be like, well, why don't you consider, uh, gun rights or gun violence and say that we should put gun restrictions. Well, uh, there's just not enough evidence for me to make the assertion that that's something that's going to affect the majority of Americans. Uh, There's an equally strong argument for saying that if the emphasis wasn't put there, we might not have as big of a problem. I just can't make that assertion that well. I want something to be really impactful for a majority of Americans. So I made that one of my criterions. And obviously, there's a The issue of abortion, should we be pro-choice or pro-life? And that's a huge issue on both sides. Lots of people get really, really emotional about that. The reason I didn't bring that up is because, I mean, it's really mostly a, a principled argument. You have to argue from some kind of internal principle. I'm not about to spend my time convincing people that you should believe the way that I believe. Um, And so I didn't include that. So my criterion for picking the actual issues that would help most Americans was, well, are we the only countries that are solve, that having to solve these problems? Is it, is it really true that um, we're the only country that has this problem where people are using drugs and we would like them to not use drugs? Um, obviously, we're the only country that's bombing 90% civilians in seven different countries or has troops stationed in 134 countries. Um, but are we the only country that has to balance uh, having a strong military with not spending an obscene amount on it. No. So obviously other countries face the same issues. And so I just asked myself, what have other countries done? And does it work? And so I'll just go one by one. Uh, the first episode is about uh, the drug war. Obviously we have this huge issue where 1.3 million uh, drug arrests and we still have drug use. It didn't just magically disappear. Um, the criminalizing drugs doesn't make st- make people stop doing it. it uh, it's called an addiction for a reason. Uh, my dad, for example, used to be addicted to cigarettes and growing up. And he would tell me, like, please don't do this. I wish I could quit. I wish I could stop. But I can't. Uh, I'm a doctor. I know that you should not be smoking. So I'm telling you, do not smoke. It's bad for you. But I personally can't. Because it becomes your only way of managing stress. You need some kind of escape. You need some way to unwind. And so you turn to whatever the drug is. And he smokes. He smoked cigarettes. Now just imagine if our country decided to ban nicotine. And so my dad had to smoke inside because, oh, if the cops saw him with cigarettes, they'd arrest him. And then, oops, there's a chance that he might get arrested. And then me, I'd grow up without a dad. And my stepmom would have to work um all by herself. And she'd be a single mother raising this kid while her husband's locked in jail and that's a lot of stress and she might take it out on me. And then I'd grow up in an abusive household without a dad. And I assure you, I would not have gotten to the college that I got into. I would not have turned out the way that I am. And I probably would have turned to drugs just to kind of escape from that abusive childhood and and that that kind of uh, poverty. So obviously this is a problem. Obviously other countries face the same idea and you can just turn to Portugal. Well, Portugal. They ended their drug war. They decriminalized drugs just across the board. Uh, they got people to uh, the help that they needed. They funded methadone clinics. They funded all of these rehab institutions. Uh, but they stopped sending the police on these people and locking them up. And guess what? Crime went down. Uh, drug addicts stopped using the drug or they got help. Uh, communities grew. The, they created jobs. The economy boomed because there's now a legal uh, drug industry. That sounds like it would be a good solution. And it's not just Portugal doing this. Other countries have done very similar things, do very similar effects. So I say, well, why don't we do the exact same thing? So we have this issue where the police uh disproportionately police uh, black communities, which keeps them in a cycle of poverty. And it results in unarmed black men getting shot by the police because the police are taught to disproportionately target black people for drug use, even though blacks and whites use drugs at the same rate. Well... If we ended the drug war, that wouldn't be the issue anymore because they wouldn't be policing them uh, so heavily for drug use because that's not illegal anymore. So we kind of have that that first solution. And uh, obviously we lock up 25% of the world's uh, prison population. 25% of the world's prison population. We're only 4% of the world's population. So that's what you and I are paying for. It just would save us money. That would allow us to use our taxpayer dollars for something better. Uh, while also growing this legal uh drug industry. While also making sure that people who need help get help. And aren't just like hiding away because it's illegal. And they are kind of at risk or in danger because of it. And so that's just the first episode. <laughs> then we kind of look to the military. Well, we spend... 50% of our discretionary spending on the military. We fight seven different wars in countries that didn't attack us, and we still haven't solved terrorism. Terrorism still exists. Um, So just look at any other country. Does any other country do this? No. <laughs> no other country does this. So why are we doing this? And it's not as if, if we took some of that money away, uh, we'd be taking away from the troops. No, I mean, Our military spending is so over right now because we spend a bunch of money on a $1 trillion plane that doesn't fly. We spend uh, several million dollars on a $500,000 gas station that some private uh, defense contractor decided they wanted to build. And then they say, oh, we actually don't know where a few billion of the dollars that you gave us went. And it's just over and over and over again. We just get scammed repeatedly. And that's where our money is going towards. It's going to bureaucracy. It's not actually going towards making our military great or strong. Our military isn't very much better than Russia's or China's. Even though we spend more than the next 11 countries combined, we don't have a a better military than the next 11 countries combined. Russia and China, if they teamed up, they would easily destroy the United States. That, that's quite crazy. (laughs) Why are we spending so much and not getting the results? Well, you can ask yourself, okay, well, uh, obviously we need to put money into our military in order for it to be strong. So if that's something that you want, well, easy. Just look at China. What China did is we're going to offer our military expertise to all these other countries that we want to be allies with, to Iran, for example. We're going to make this agreement. And in exchange for our military might, they have to give us an economic treaty. And then once we get some of that economic benefit, we give them that military aid. And then they benefit, they grow, they aren't losing money to all these rapacious scam artists that call themselves private contractors, and their military is actually quite well, it's thriving, and they're growing to be a superpower. Meanwhile, we lose billions of dollars every year to scams, to literal scams. That's why our military is not doing well. It's not because we don't spend enough money on it, we spend quite enough money on it, it's just... We throw it at absolutely nothing, get scammed, and do nothing about it. And so, seems like a very easy issue. And it's not as if I'm anti vet I want us to be put, putting money into the VA. I want us to be paying our troops. I want us to be bringing our troops from 134 different countries around the world out of harm's way and bringing them home. Because every year, dozens of troops die in completely preventable deaths. That's what your politicians are sending them out to these different countries to do, to die for absolutely no reason. We're not fighting any active wars. All of our wars are airstrike wars. We just bomb 90% civilians and then say, oops, well, you know, 10% of the time we sometimes get the right person. Uh, I hope you like that. That's where 50% of your taxpayer money is going towards. So it seems like we could probably solve that (laughs) by cutting a little bit, Uh, by doing a more extensive audit and making sure that we don't give money to well-known scam artists that call themselves defense contractors. So that's just episode two. And then we get to episode three, where 44,000 Americans are dying um, every single year because they don't have access to basic health care. And if you have health insurance, well, good for you, but uh, 50% of you are underinsured. So if anything bad happened to you, uh sorry you're probably going to be bankrupt and homeless um because your health insurance won't cover all of your bills and you're going to be saddled with a bunch of money due up in bills so do other problems have, do other countries have this problem do other countries have 12 million uninsured americans or uninsured citizens no of course they don't there are a bunch of countries and it's in that third episode just a full list of the countries that have universal health care. Every single person in that country gets health and care. And they get it from the government. You pay taxes and then you get health care. That's how it works in those countries. And in those countries, zero people die because they don't have access to basic health care. Zero. In our country, 44,000 people die because they don't have access to basic health care. In those countries, zero. And it's not as if when the government provides health insurance, it gets really, really low-quality health care. No. Um, Taiwan, a country where the co-pays are $5, and otherwise all of your health care is provided through taxes, is the number one in the world for health care. The United States is not in the top 10. It's not in the top 20. It's not even in the top 30 countries for the best health care. We pay four times as much as any other country or the average person in other countries pays for basic life-saving drugs, but we don't get good health care, we overpay for all this health insurance, and still we aren't covered. But in countries where the government provides them their health care, those are the top 10, those are the top 20. So it seems like there's a solution. It seems that other countries have found the solution for us. If you don't want to have 12 million uninsured people, if you don't want to have 50% uh, underinsured people, just pay taxes and have the government give you health care. Seems like a very basic exchange. And so that's what the third episode is all about. And... Um, Finally, we make it to the fourth episode, and this is where things kind of change. Like I said, I have no political ideology. I'm developing it as I go through these um, these podcasts. Just what are some problems that we have? Are there ways that we can uh, derive solutions from the way that other countries have handled those same problems? So we make it to the fourth one. I say, well, look, there's a lot of problems, especially with COVID-19. We have all of these issues, and maybe... The government should take our taxpayer money and give it back to us when we're in a time of need. And maybe they should spend it on government programs. Maybe they should spend it on actually revamping our country, rebuilding our infrastructure, which currently gets a grade of D. So if you looked at our country and just looked at its infrastructure, you'd think we're a third world country. Most of our infrastructure hasn't been updated since probably the 60s. So we got crumbling bridges, we got broken roads. And we got 20% unemployed. Well, put two and two together. If you employed people in rebuilding the roads, in rebuilding our bridges, in building schools, uh, updating our energy infrastructure so that we have a more green infrastructure and can actually stay on this planet for longer, that would create jobs. But the problem is, who would pay all these people? Well, taxpayer money would. We paid our taxes. All of us paid our taxes. Now we expect it to come back to us when we're in a time of need. Now that's, that's. I'm not saying that you have to agree with that. If you don't agree with that, I guess just tune out. (laughs) But I say that you probably should believe in this because we did this in the Great Depression and it worked. It actually got us to start getting out of the Great Depression. Obviously World War II happened and it was way more effective, but it's really not sustainable to just start a war every time that we have a, uh, an economic crisis, especially when there's not really a good reason to go to war. Uh, especially guys of draft age know very well that they don't want to get drafted right now, and if instead the government would give them a job, uh, they'd be a little bit happier. So that seems like a solution, and we know that it works. We know that it works. Um, And so that's kind of the premise of the fourth episode. I say that half the country is, is poor. Our productivity soared, but wages remain stagnant. We have to compensate that in some way. But if we just raise the minimum wage, which a lot of people on the left say you should do, you should raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Well, I personally actually care about small businesses. There are some small businesses that just would not be able to survive that, and they'd go bankrupt and all those employees would go to larger uh, corporations that can actually pay the $15 uh, an hour minimum wage. And and so corporations grow bigger because of that policy. That doesn't make sense to me. Of course, they're going to still be employed, so unemployment doesn't increase. But at what cost? Do you drive uh, small businesses out of business? So instead, I say, okay, don't put this burden on the small businesses. I should expect my government to help me out. So if I don't make enough income and it's below, say, 200% of the poverty line, why doesn't the government say, hey, we see because you submitted your payroll taxes that you didn't make enough money to put food on the table and to pay your rent and uh, to keep your family afloat. So we're going to help you out a little bit. We're sorry for the tough times. We're sorry that you didn't get enough hours at work in order to make the right amount of money. We know that you have a job. We know that you're working. And So we're going to reward that because you're a taxpaying citizen in a country that actually cares about you. And uh, this kind of policy where the government supplements your income above a certain threshold is a form of UBI, which is what that socialist Andrew Yang brought up. But the problem with Andrew Yang's solution is he's going to give $2,000 to everyone, including Jeff Bezos, including himself. Well, that sounds like a waste of my taxpayer dollars. Why am I paying Jeff Bezos? That doesn't make any sense. So instead, save some money. You all have to report your income to the government so the government can easily see Oh, well, this social security number made this amount of money this month. They probably need help paying their rent and keeping the lights on. So we're going to send them a check. Just like that. If they can collect our, our their taxes from us, then they can easily bring it back to us. And uh, not only that, and not only does this kind of help people out, but if you lose your job, there's no need for a separate system for unemployment benefits or whatever. Just if you lose your job, your income becomes zero. And say you don't want to incentivize people to just become unemployed. Well, instead of 200% of the poverty line, we're going to give you 150% of the poverty line if you lose your job. You obviously still need to eat. You obviously still need to pay rent. You're not going to get the full amount of money. If you start working, we're going to bump you up. But if you don't start working, you better look for a job because we're not going to cover everything for you. Um, We're going to help keep you afloat until you find another job. And so that's that's a really obvious solution. That's something we could have implemented the second the coronavirus outbreak happened. Twenty percent unemployment. There's thousands of Americans going to the, millions of Americans going to uh, claim on insurance. But why? You easily cut out all of that and just say everybody is going to be guaranteed this minimum threshold of being able to a al- lot be alive, because there's obviously a crisis. There's obviously a pandemic, and people need help. But we didn't do that, so. Uh, Because we don't actually believe in the principle that you pay taxes and expect something in return. So why don't we start believing that? And uh, I say, okay, on top of infrastructure, on top of um, increasing uh, this, this basic level of income... How about we also house the homeless people? Because we know that we actually spend a lot of taxpayer money policing the homeless people. Uh, it brings down the local economy where there's lots of homeless people. It also brings down the property value where in areas that have lots of homeless people. So we're spending more money just leaving people homeless. So if we house them, we actually save money. And where am I getting that information? I'm getting that from Australia. In Australia, they started a program to house uh, the homeless and it actually put money back into the economy. So again, there's a problem. I look to another country for the solution. I ask, does it work? And it does. I say, why don't we do that? Um, it's very simple. There's no political ideology to it whatsoever. It takes about two brain cells to say, we have a problem. Did any other countries solve this problem? Yes. Let's do that. <laughs> so it's really quite simple. And so that's um, the fourth episode. And then we make it to the fifth episode. The fifth episode is I say, okay, okay. So the first four episodes are really obvious. It's super obvious what the solutions to our problems are. It's not a political issue. It's not a political ideology. It doesn't take any type of Democrat-Republican reasoning whatsoever. So is our government just stupid? Why are they not doing this? Isn't everybody in Washington, D.C. supposed to spend 24-7 thinking about policy, thinking about ways to help you and I? And if all these solutions are so obvious that a 19-year-old college kid can figure them out, then why aren't they doing it? Well, I say, well, it's kind of obvious. We already have the science on that. There's a Princeton study in 2014 that explained that for 20 years, they analyzed every single policy decision that comes out of D.C. And they asked, okay, well, If the American people really want this policy to pass, does it mean that Congress is really likely to pass it? No, it doesn't. In fact, the more that you really want something to pass or the more you really don't want something to pass, it actually has no effect on the likelihood of it passing. It's going to pass at the same exact likelihood. You could flip a coin and it's going to pass. Or it's not going to pass. That's how it works Um, in Washington, D.C. They don't listen to you. They don't care about you. We're not a democracy. In a democracy, it would be once you hit around 50%, it's a 100% chance of passing. Anything more than 50%, 100% chance of passing. If it's less than 50%, 0% chance of passing. It's not going to pass. We don't live in a democracy. We live in a representative democracy. So at least it should be correlated. No correlation. There's no correlation. But they asked, okay, but what if corporate interests or the economic elite or the super wealthy really want this policy to pass? Does it pass? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely passes. Okay, what if the economically the uh, the corporate interests and the super rich really don't want it to pass? Does it still pass? No, it it doesn't. <laughs> no, no, it, no chance that it ha- passes whatsoever. Um, why? Well, that's because DC listens to the economically to the r- super wealthy to the corporations. That's who gets them elected in the first place. They fund those campaigns, and then all of that those donations. Well, they're expecting something in return, aren't they? So once they get into office, the politicians do the bidding of their donors. It's completely sound logic. It is corruption 101, and we just allow it to happen. And uh, if you really don't believe me, they need those donations. More than 90% of the time, the candidate that gets the most funding wins. So if they don't get that money, it doesn't matter how much the American people want them or don't want them, they won't even hear about them unless there's money going into those super PACs to fund ads, to get people to like this person, to at least hear the name so that they know who to vote for come election day. That's how our democracy works. It's not a democracy. It's all of these corporate dollars flood into the super PACs of our politicians. They get elected, and then they do the bidding of those politicians so that they get reelected. Or say that they leave office, then they get a, uh, a lucrative lobbyist job. Or um, they get thousands and thousands of dollars in Wall Street speeches. Don't believe me? Look at Obama. What did he do the second he left office? $250,000 speeches in Wall Street. It's how it works. That's the way that the game is played. It doesn't matter what you want or what you don't want. They don't listen to you. So at least four episodes, if you agree with a single word of them and you want some kind of policy, and I'll talk about it later, but in every single one of those episodes, I bring up uh, what percent of the American people want this policy or don't. So I know that a majority of you at least want one of those episodes to to happen. A majority of you want us to uh, do clinical treatment for people with drug addiction instead of locking them up. At least a majority of you want to legalize weed. A majority of you um, are not in favor of uh, continuing the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. A majority of you are in favor of some form of Medicare for All or universal health care. So I know that you guys want these issues, but you'll never get them because that's not how our democracy works. We don't have a democracy in the first place. It's just a corporatocracy. Whatever the corporations want, happens. Whatever they don't want doesn't happen. If you want it, (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) So obviously that is like the clincher. That is the real issue. And just to go one by one, um, the, the drug war, who does that benefit? Well, it obviously benefits the private prison industry. We incarcerate 25% of the world's prison population. We're our, Our public prisons are so overcrowded, we have to rely on private prisons who profit off of government contracts to house our our prisoners. And so they commit all of these human rights violations But in order to cut costs and make a profit. Um, And then people die under their care, but we don't really mind. We don't really look at that. Um, And obviously then those private prisons donate to our politicians. You can look up exactly who... Uh, how much they donate and to what politicians on open secrets, And lo and behold, nobody talks about ending the drug war, because we really need those 1.3 million drug arrests, because how else would those private prisons continue to justify their existence? Uh, if we just freed all the nonviolent criminals uh, in nonviolent drug offenders, not criminals, if we just freed them, I mean, where would all that profit go? And so our politicians will never do anything to challenge those donations coming from the private industries, from the private prison industry. And it also helps the, uh, the alcohol and the nicotine industry because they don't get any competi- competition from a legal uh, weed industry. They don't get any competition from uh, a legal LSD industry. If they had that kind of competition, that would cut into their profits. So you can look, N- nicotine uh, and uh, alcohol industries, pay a lot of money to politicians to make sure that they don't legalize any of these drugs. And uh, and so you will never get legal weed. Not with Biden, not with Trump. Biden proudly proclaims, I will not legalize weed. Why? Well, because he gets all of this money from all of these donors and tell him, please don't do that. That would cut into our uh, profits. And obviously, it's relatively beneficial to keep uh, African-American communities in poverty because in the various industries that benefit off of people being forced to work minimum wage jobs. um, They donate to the politicians so that people stay in poverty and continue to benefit off of people working minimum wage jobs. That's exactly why 50% of the country is poor. It's not as if our politicians don't know that people are living paycheck to paycheck. It's not just you who's living paycheck to paycheck. Our politicians know that that's the majority of Americans' lives. But They don't want to change that. If they change that, the corporations like McDonald's that benefit off of all these people who work multiple jobs or have to take that extra shift because they need to put food on the table. Well, if suddenly they were making enough money to survive and they don't need to take that extra shift and they can spend more time with their family, that would cut into their profits. So it's not allowed. You're not going to get universal health, universal basic income. You're never going to get it because that would cut into the profit of those industries. And uh, the cutting the uh, drug, sorry, the war on terrorism, well, bombing seven different countries means that we're constantly buying from Lockheed Martin, from Boeing. And every single state benefits from uh, the defense manufacturing industry. Every single state. It's not just one state that's benefiting. Every single state has jobs that are related to uh, defense contractors. So Every single elected official is at least in some way tied to saying, no, 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 we can't cut the military budget because that would cut into jobs in my state, that would cut into the revenue of my state. And so they vote against it. And you want proof? There was recently a bill to cut the military budget by just 10%. We could easily slash it by 50% and still spend more than any country in the entire history of man on our military. We could cut it by 50%. And we would still be completely fine if we just routed out all of the the embezzling, all of the scamming, all of the useless projects that we're spending money on. That would account for that 50 percent. But they didn't even float a 50 percent cut. They floated a 10 percent cut. And overwhelmingly, a majority of Congress said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We like being embezzled. We like billions of dollars just disappearing uh, on a yearly basis. We like that we spent $1 trillion on a plane that doesn't fly. We like that we bomb 90% civilians and create more terrorist groups um, than we end up destroying. We like that we're losing that war. We like the public humiliation that we have. We like that we have troops in 134 uh, different countries. Why? Because that brings money to our defense contractors. And they're the ones that put us into office in the first place. Those are the ones we listen to. If we did anything about that, cut into their profits by even 10%, well, I mean, we wouldn't get elected. We wouldn't get that money. So out of thanks for them, we won't cut it. We won't save you taxpayer money. You're going to keep wasting your money. You're going to still spend your money on creating more terrorists, on killing 90% civilians. That's what you and I pay for. Because they don't listen to us. They listen to the corporations. So That's two. Who, who does not having uh, universal health care help? Who does 44,000 deaths annually help? Well, it's the drug industries that get to charge four times what the average person pays in other countries for life-saving medications. Those industries really, really benefit. The uh, private health insurance companies, they benefit from this. If you really need proof there are that our politicians are bought by the pharmaceutical industry and the health insurance industry, there was a bill. To import drugs from Canada. And Canada has way stricter drug regulations than we do. In terms of the quality of drugs that Canada allows to be on the market, they have to be way, way higher quality than our regulations uh, restrict them to be. We were just going to import them because they're cheaper. It's cheaper to just import it than to pay what the American pharmaceutical companies overcharge. They quadruple the actual price um, just to get extra money. A bunch of Democrats, led by Cory Booker from the state, New Jersey, and New Jersey has a lot of pharmaceutical uh, companies, said, no, 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 we're killing this. I'm sorry that you need life-saving medications and you want it to be affordable, but we're not going to make you get affordable life-saving medications because that would cut into the revenue of my state. So a bunch of Democrats killed that. They said, no, 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 you can't get uh, life-saving medications from Canada at a lower price. We can't let you have that. Why? Because we got elected, by the donations of the pharmaceutical industry. And, sorry, it's just not possible for us to cut into those profits, because otherwise we wouldn't get another term in office. Guess what? Cory Booker's still in office. Vote him out. So, it's just down the line. All of these issues are just common sense. But the reason you won't ever get them it's because we don't have a democracy. So you can vote. I'm sure you, you want to vote. There's an election coming up. I hope you vote. But at the end of the day, your choices are Biden or Trump. Are they ever going to give you any of these issues? No, because they come out of a system where in order to get ahead, you have to get these corporate donations and you have to do the bidding of the corporations. And then every single policy issue that comes before Congress is decided in favor of the corporations and against the American people. And so you still have people in poverty. You still have half the country poor. You still have 44,000 Americans dying because they don't have access to basic health care. You still have 12 million Americans who are uninsured. You still have uh, 33% of the country who can't pay their rent. You still have people who are literally not making enough money to survive. They aren't making a living wage at all. Uh, and you still have all of that because we don't have a democracy. So yes, you can vote. But what I want you to do, what's much more important to me than you just voting... So I want you to make sure that your voice is heard. I want you to say, to call up your politicians and say, I don't want you to take a single dollar in corporate PAC money. I want you to completely get rid of all this money in politics. I want you to actually give us our democracy so that when I pay you taxpayer money, that money comes back to me when I need it. And it comes back in the form of government programs that actually help me instead of killing 90% civilians in seven different countries that never attacked us. That's... What you should be demanding that you as a citizen pay money and then your government cares about you when you need help and so you can vote i hope you all do but i want protests in every single street across the country saying get money out of politics and make us have a democracy again give us our democracy back because that would actually make america great again